Hey everybody, it's Elias Mastroganis here, and this is the Distillery Nation podcast, where insightful business advice collide with craft distillery interviews. Look no further as you found the podcast you need to listen for craft distilling. Hey, Distillery Nation, this is Elias Mastroianis. I am your host and distiller behind a craft branded distillery located in Lakewood, Washington. And in this episode of the Distillery Nation podcast, I had the absolute pleasure talking with Chris Maffeo. Chris is a drinks industry advisor and founder of Maffeo Drinks. He has a vast experience and knowledge on how to build brands from the ground up. And in this episode, we did just that. Chris went deep into sales, DTC, building demand, email list, uh, how do we target and filter on-premise accounts, the importance on focusing on just the essentials, and so much more. Before we get started, a few housekeeping items. If you have found value on the podcast, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. This is how we can grow and we can reach more people. We also have a Facebook group. So if you're looking to supplement, help, or just connect with like-minded people, head over to Facebook, search for Distillery Nation, and hit that join button. With that said, let's jump right into the interview. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Distillery Nation podcast. I am really honored to introduce today's guest, Chris Maffeo. Chris is a drinks industry advisor founder of Maffeo Drinks, uh, has a vast experience and knowledge on how to build brands for the ground up. Chris, I'm super excited to have you here today. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you, Elias. Uh, happy to be here and thanks for the for the invite. Absolutely. Yeah, we connected over your, your newsletter, which we'll touch a little bit later because I think everybody should be subscribing. But before we get there, Chris, a little bit about who you are and how do you get into the booze business? Yes, uh, that's uh, that's always interesting. Um, so um, I'm Italian originally. Uh, so I mean, my background is, uh, of, of course, like every, everybody has their own drinks cabinet at home at the grandpa's and, uh, you know, and, uh, and, and in the family. And I've always been attracted by these bottles that were very old because my family didn't really drink that much. Uh, so it was always like that, that was the thing that got me into, let's say, drinks in general. Like uh, I'm fascinated about the bottles. I'm a history lover. So I'm always fascinated on how these bottles come up and how do uh, you know, founders create these products and so on. And my background, I started in the industry um, in the on-trade as a sales guy back in Rome. In it's actually twenty years right now, um, and um, and I was a sales guy for an internet startup. So we were selling advertising to bars and restaurants. Uh, I set up the the, the Rome uh, business with some friends back then at university. And and we were doing events for major brands that were uh, launching in the market. So all the big names, all the it was the wave of the ready to drink back then. So they all wanted to launch the their own ready to drinks in the in the on trade. Mm -hmm. um, and then I took a little bit of a detour because I I, I work in branding agencies. So there was not much to do with. Uh, with alcohol uh, and and drinks, but I I work for some of those brands um, as a consultant. So as an external consultant, I was based in Scandinavia, in Helsinki, in Finland, and Sweden, in in Stockholm, Sweden, and uh, and then just out of a chance, like I got uh, hired by SCB Miller uh, in uh, in the European office, and I was taking care of export. So. So what you would see in my newsletter and what I talk about, it's very much of um, 
underdog kind of uh, thinking, mm-hmm. despite I was working for major multinationals, um, because I've always been in the export department. Uh, so I was always the person that was selling something that was famous in the homeland, but not at all famous in the in the export uh, country where I was selling to. So that made me think in a little bit of a different way versus the big guys that are, you know, like uh, playing with a lot of market share and uh, and with a very top-down kind of approach. And and the goal was really to sell to that export market, right? Because with, yes. with those with those gorilla underdog exactly. type, exactly. Uh, so behaviors. so I, I I had the luxury to be honest, like of let's say growing up and learn from a big big players, you know, mm-hmm. SAB Miller, Asahi, Carlsberg, like mainly in the beer uh, sphere, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, in thirty plus markets all around the world. So Europe, mainly European and Middle East, but also like the Americas. Uh, never Asia, to be honest, um, and uh, and that also got me into thinking. Like, actually, hang on a minute. Like, we everybody thinks they are different from from a market perspective, which obviously they are, uh, but in reality, the dynamics are very similar. And uh, you know, selling you are always selling to on trade and off trade. Off trade. <laughs> I mean, now D two C as well. Uh, back then, not. Uh, but but basically, you are you're always selling through an importer, through distributors and wholesalers, and the game is always the same. So let's say eighty percent can be standardized in the in the system, and then twenty percent needs to be adapted to whether it's US or certain European countries and mm-hmm. and so forth. Got it. So, uh, actually, uh, before we dive into the next question, is uh, wh- what are your uh, wh- have you seen change between the on trade, obviously, maybe uh, let's say post COVID, right, versus now maybe after COVID, which is a, a big shift in how restaurants, bars operate. Uh, what yes. are what are your insights and in how you've seen the market shift between those last two to three years? Uh, interesting question. Like, I mean, I think what I think I'm, I may go a little bit like out, let's say against the, the, <laughs> the stream in what I'm saying. So I don't think there's been like a lot of changes because of COVID. I think that a lot of changes were already happening before, mm. uh, COVID has been a bit of an accelerator of some trends, whether, whether you mean the digitalization and some other trends, um, you know, organic and small brands and so forth. What I what I've seen that has been probably like an um, let's say accelerated by COVID uh, has been this let's say this kind of like blending of different styles of restaurants and um, bars and uh, different kind of things. So the 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 people that were selling mainly booze, mainly like so bars and clubs and so on, like they started to actually look at food a little bit more uh, because of obvious regulations and so forth and and at the same time restaurants have started to actually not think anymore only let's say beer wine gin tequilas in the us but like blending a little bit in style so so now what i see and actually that's this is something that i'm working with in a segmentation model that i'm that i'm developing is to really understand like there's not anymore the let's say of course, you've got all the ethnic channels, like the Italian restaurant, the Greek ch- restaurant, the mm-hmm. Asian restaurants, and so on. But a lot of places are actually blending in. So you would have, a, let's say, 
cocktails with pizzas that you would have never imagined even i mean even in italy i uh, would have never imagined like back in the days it would have been only beer and some wine uh you see let's say mexican restaurants that are developing an incredible bar uh, with incredible agave spirits, starting from Sigila, going into Mezcal and mm-hmm, Sotol and mm-hmm. Bacanora and so forth. So there is a little bit of shift in you go into a bar or a restaurant and you cannot really understand where you are. You know, there may be like the great burgers and great pizzas and it's not a burger place and it's not a pizza restaurant. It's something in between that capitalize on what I call the occasions so it's like, why do I go out to a certain place? Or I want to go and socialize with friends, or I want to go out with my wife, or I want to go out and mingle after work. So there is always a core occasion that people are going for. And now restaurants and bars are trying to capitalize on those occasions, moving not anymore in category, let's say fighting within the category. So gin against gin. But now there could be a gin and tonic that fights a spritz and fights a light drinking beer and fights a Prosecco. Yeah. Uh, so to say. Yeah. And I think the, the, the restaurants are doing that for a div- diversification aspect as well from the income perspective, yes. right? It's not, yes. as you said, it's yeah. not just food anymore. It's an experience. So, so they're trying to build that uh, experience up. So that's uh, that's great insight because I think it helps people when we approach it on-premise account. You know, we get a... We got to start thinking with that in mind versus just get my gin or get my my product on the shelves. You know, you got to think, okay, how does it integrate perhaps with their um, exactly. with their occasion and where their theme is going? So that's, that's very valuable. Uh, Chris, you know, kind of your motto is brands, brands are built from the bottoms up. You know, that's kind of the core theme of everything that you do. And I totally agree. I can totally relate. Uh, can you explain a little bit of that concept and really what it means for distilleries uh, looking to kind of uh, adopt that same mentality? Yes. So it, it's funny because actually that motto came very bottom up because I, I didn't come up with it. It's just that when I, I started writing it in my LinkedIn post and then a lot of clients and people that were reading they were actually mentioning that to me and then I was like, actually like that probably resonates with people. So let's uh, let's use it a bit more. Uh, and it's an easy way to explain what, you know, like how how to build brands. So I go against the old school way of top-down thinking. So thinking like market share, thinking like, okay, I want to launch in France. The gene category is this big. I want to get a share of that of that gene category mm-hmm. and let's me let let me deep dive into this. So what I like to think, because that 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 was working many years ago when there was not such a proliferation of brands and especially i mean you can we can take tequila for the us and gin for the Euro, for for europe as two extremes of uh proliferation of brands um and now basically like people want to it's difficult to build brands like that because you can't just be another tequila or another gin so you need to go really bottom up really understand how you you start from your messaging, from your core brand identity and then commercial proposition, understand what kind of bars you want to go to first, 
what types of bars because of the occasion that you're going for. So it could be a gin and tonic, it could be a margarita, it could be a, you know some other specific occasions. And then you build it bottom up. So you really build one bar by bar, bottle by bottle, case by case. And then you you will reach you know selling pallets to importers. Mm -hmm. But it doesn't work like I'll, I'm gonna sell an, a pallet to an importer, and then he's gonna deplete it. Uh, really? Hopefully, yes. kind of thing. So it's yeah. not anymore about stuffing people up <laughs> with with stock and then trying to find a way to get rid of it. It's more like let me sell something that this person might need because my brand stands for the same the same uh, virtues and the same purpose of this bar or or this person resonates with me you know the owner or in direct to consumer like the the actual consumer so that's why i i really believe in this bottom up thinking because because it's also difficult for people to relate to small numbers uh, and big numbers. So, mm. so what I mean is that if you're, I mean, you are a distiller, so you know, like that it's, it's really like bottle by bottle and it takes a while to finish a bottle of whiskey. You know, it's, it's not the fast moving consumer goods as we think it is. Uh, but people don't relate to that. So people build the brand and then I realize that they have no idea how to dissect all those sales from you know what does that bottle mean in terms of pours so how many two ounces pour it is to make up a bottle and how many do should they sell every day to sell a bottle per week or to sell a case per month and mm -hmm. so forth yeah you actually did a tweet right where you said okay a thousand a thousand cases you know <laughs> you you did the breakdown and then the last yes. piece is it's four cocktails per day across 50 bars. That's exactly. what it that's what equates to. So distillers exactly. usually say, Oh, I'm a thousand case distillery or you know, X amount, but you gotta reverse it, right? That's what really exactly. what you're saying is reverse it to the minimum, which helps you focus a little bit better, I think, and also drive. Do I have those 50 bars? Are they are am I part of the cocktail list or am I on the back collecting dust? And exactly. how do I get on the cocktail list? So maybe with exactly. that in mind. Uh, let's assume that we are doing our research to get those 50 bars that are closer or perhaps related to our business. Yes. Uh, what are the, some of the strategies that you think we should do to uh, approach them or perhaps have them part of the, the cocktail list? I think that's kind of the critical path, right? We we need to connect with the bartenders to become a brand that it's hopefully in a cocktail and moves uh, fairly Absolutely. those four cocktails a day. So what, what are your summer insights and something that you can share with the audience? So uh, this is a crucial point, what you're raising. Um, so the, the, let me take a step back. Like the, there's a lot in, in my experience, like now I've been doing this for 20 years on off and everybody gets it in theory, you know, everybody gets that you should go to cool bars you know, uh, build advocacy with bartenders, get them love your brand and so forth. No, the, the issue is that what I see is that there's a lot of me, me, me kind of like language mm. in most brands rather than explaining and building the category 
and building the industry, so to say. So what I mean by that is that people should create the demand first and then capture the demand. So what I see many brands do is that they rush into capturing a demand that doesn't really exist. So basically, like I would go to a bar to sell my whiskey, my gin, or whatever that is. And but this person in front of me has has never heard about it, is not interested. They already have enough tequilas, gin, vodkas, and, and whiskeys there. So how do I get that attention? And what I usually recommend doing is that okay, first you should build the build the demand. And by building the demand, I mean really like build the category. So educate, uh, talk about the category in general, the the product. Why did you do that product? So let's remove the kind of like selfish side of building brands, which is like, I love this product. I use these botanicals because I love these botanicals. But the person in front of you doesn't know that story. And in the end, it's like, is it really interested in that story? Because maybe, you know, you got some botanicals because you love them from childhood and so on. But if that person can't relate to that story, you know, it, it doesn't really matter for them. So what I mean is that, like, for example, like in terms of botanicals, it would be use the botanicals that explain let's say, explain the botanicals in a way that what does it mean for your taste profile? So I'm using this because it's more citrusy and it goes better with that type kind of food. Or I'm using this, you know, this, I don't know, this mezcal is more or less smoky mm -hmm. and it goes better or worse with certain type of cocktails or is it like more for sipping? And maybe you don't understand about mezcal. So let me introduce you to mezcal in general, rather than just talking about my mezcal and why my mezcal is better, better than any other mezcal. So it's, it's more like, let's say my approach is more like, let them come to you because you are giving away free knowledge and knowledge for free, so to say, and you are helping people to, to get some social currency to say, okay, oh, I'm going to go for dinner tomorrow at some friends. I will show off with this bottle because now I know everything about this bottle and I know why some, for some people it will be off because it's too smoky. For some people, they will love it because they are highly whiskey drinkers. Mm -hmm. So they would love a very smoky mezcal because it resembles of an highly, a very peated highly um, and so forth. So the... Going back to the building demand and capturing demand, um, the, if you look at the history, the salesperson were uh, building the demand and capturing the demand at the same time. So a sales guy would go in a bar and it would be the, like, there wouldn't be any, I mean, there would be TV, but there wouldn't be any internet. There would be, like say bar owners were not as skilled as they are today in terms of let me google the best tequilas around the world let me take a tasmanian whiskey or let mm -hmm. me take a japanese whiskey and so on so um they were they were doing everything it was very transactional so i'm building the demand alias like let me recommend you this great whiskey just got it shipped from whatever Ireland or Scotland or or from the US. This is the best thing you should have. Everybody in the neighborhood is having it. You should have it. 
And then you were just a random bar owner. And there was like, okay, this guy seems to be knowing what is what is selling. Let me let me stock it. But now it doesn't work like that anymore because you are a very skilled bar owner. And you know better than the sales guy, probably, <laughs> or sales girl, uh, you know, about that category. So so it's more like a lot of people go to those bars without having built the demand first. So it's more for me, it's, my, it's like building the demand, uh, crafting the messaging. So what am I talking about? Am I talking about, I don't know, like the now I look at your barrels there, like, you know, am I looking at, am I, am I talking about the aging process or am I talking about sourcing the mm-hmm. ingredients? Or am I talking about, is it like a more stylish brand or is it more like a, like a, like a, is it, is it like a very sustainable forward brand? So what message am I talking about? Because a lot of brands have got beautiful messages to talk about, but they are mixed. They may, they may be like four or five messages that they want to come across and they haven't built up their hierarchy. It's like, okay, to a guy like Elias, I'm going to skip the sustainability because he doesn't care. I'm going to talk about uh, the how stylish is the bottle mm-hmm. because he's a stylish guy and has a stylish bar, for example. <laughs> uh, maybe you are in the in a in a remote place in the countryside with a very uh, like a rustic country chic venue. They are doing their foraging and organic ingredients and so on. I'm gonna take that card of the sustainability because that's what I mean. And if you understand what kind of venues you need you need to go for. Then you create your 50 bars list, which is not the 50 best, but it's just it's just like the 50 best for your bar, for, for sorry, for your Great brand. brand. Mm-hmm. And and then you go and hunt those people. And in the meantime, you have built the demand with those people. And then it becomes like then there's a bit of a snowball effect after you do it. But people forget that it's a very long-term game. You know, like it, like I always use my own example. When I when I started writing on LinkedIn, I would have like fifty people viewing, not even liking. You know, viewing my content. It's just that I I really bang on that nail all the time because mm-hmm. that's what I believe should be my message. And then people will come. And in the beginning, like it, it was difficult to get traction, and now like there's more and more people actually coming and talking to me because i'm consistent with my own messaging so it's it's, an, it's, it's a very similar it's yeah. a very similar strategy whether whether you have a, a brand as a random business or if you have a brand as a as a drinks uh brand yeah and as i think that's a perfect example with the linkedin again and your content is you 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 built the demand and now you're trying to capture the demand you know based on people reaching out to you either you know for podcasts like this or you know Absolutely. other other yeah. venues you you're trying to capture that momentum which that is, is very true. similar to uh actually it, you talked about my next question which really you just touched based a lot which was you know a, a lot of distilleries don't have that um that dedicated sales teams you know it's usually maybe one maybe they outsource that sales experience to go to those bars and do the on-premise uh which is really hard and i think it goes back to what you said which is how do you differentiate yourself how do you build that story that single hierarchy hey this is what we stand for and this is what we do and how do you 
are essentially unique from everybody else because if you're if you're just another bourbon uh that's you know doing the same thing you you're aging in the same barrels that everybody else it's it's all gray you know it's like how do you how do you become that yellow or red where it's a little bit different uh, exactly. in my view so that's a that's a great view 